Hey everyone, it's Tom here, Alpha Metallica, back with yet another episode of the show. Today we're going to be looking at the four 30th anniversary shows that Metallica did at the Fillmore, uh, right at the end of 2011, early December. And uh, yeah, we're going to go through all the days. If you're not familiar, this was just a giant kind of uh, a bean feast, a jamboree, a huge... Uh, revelatory celebration of Metallica with guests from the past and present and you know just there's really nothing like it that I've encountered in terms of any other band's lineage only a band like Metallica could really do something like this and have it be such a success as well so today myself and the guest we're going to uh, go through each day there's a hell of a lot of songs and performances to get through so hopefully none of them slip through the net but just before we get to that please follow us at metallica pod get in touch with me metallica pod at gmail.com if you want to jump on the show you know it's great to get emails from people uh you know who are querying if i've done this or if i've done that you know i've done so many episodes it was a guy who emailed me recently i didn't mention this before on the show and he was like oh you should totally cover he's like i'm halfway through the run you should totally cover kerrang's master of puppets 2006 anniversary cd well we did it i did that with luke so people go back and check that out as well uh we're on patreon if you enjoy the show you want to give back sure you can go over to there you can get access to the episodes before they drop the compilations head over to itunes leave us a review on their youtube spotify well, not on youtube but spotify all those other places that your RSS feed takes you. So, um, you know, today I'm joined for the third time by someone that I, I love speaking to. We always have great episodes, great conversations. We've covered Outlaw Torn. We've covered Whiplash. Now we're doing the 30th anniversary shows. Rob, how's it going? Uh, it's going great, Tom. Uh, thanks for having me back for a third time. I just, I had to ask, was the Fight Fire with Fire Kid uh, busy today? Did he have a Little League game? Like, why? I'm honored that uh, you asked me for a third time. There's a waiting list for that kid. I mean, he's just so popular now. Uh, I think he's on Metal at Your Podcast next week. But, uh, yeah, go back and check out that Fight Fire with Fire episode as well with uh, Liam. Liam the Heavy Metal Kid was his name. So um, today we're doing the 30th anniversary shows, and I've established on our previous episodes that, you know, you've been a fan for a good while. Like, what do you remember about these shows happening, being announced like because i mean obviously i've been a fan as well but i sort of got back online with the band afterwards so was there any rumbling online that this was going to happen or you see and this is like a blind spot for me i mean i i remember the um beyond magnetic songs being released i remember that being a big deal to me but this i i don't know like i it wasn't on my radar i I don't know what was going on in uh, december 2011 for me but yeah I, i mean i don't remember i didn't try to get tickets i don't even you're, I don't know what happened, but it's a it's a major blind spot for me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, it is just crazy, as I was saying before, like you can't, there's so many things that differentiate Metallica, you know, they really are a one of a kind band, like, you know, a band that's so dedicated to, to covering things and being into musical history that open up all their tuning room stuff online, that film all their concerts, put them on YouTube, that do the documentaries, etc. Um, like them doing something like this. Can you think of other bands that could possibly do, you know, I mean, there are bigger bands quote unquote the Metallica but nothing quite on that intimate fan level that they have yeah I mean Metallica is like by, I think by far one of the fan friendliest um, bands there are there you know is out there yeah. just like uh, they release everything I mean starting like back in the black album when you know making the the album and I feel like they've released everything that's ever happened to them ever since um, I mean it it's just uh, I don't know it's what makes them unique it's what makes them uh, so popular I think I mean, the, the Metallica fans are loyal, lifelong fans, so 
can't can't beat it. What are your thoughts? Who do you think uh, this can compares to? There's no one, is there? Because it's like, okay, uh, you know, the Rolling Stones are bigger or something like that. But I can never imagine them going to Camden for four nights in quite a small environment and bringing all their friends up and stuff like that. Like, uh, the, 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 there's no there's no one on this level that really could do this and, like, that just have all these people and, you know, all these sort of in-references like Lloyd Grant that we're going to get to and Ron McGovern and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I can't really conceive. And just to um, refresh people people if they're not aware so basically how this worked was this was four separate days uh not consecutive days so we had december 5th december 7th i think it's 9th and 10th are the third and fourth days and um there's a few consistent things that go down you know the band normally open with a set of um, originals and uh, jason crops up for a few later on and stuff but all around it is essentially guest spot after guest spot after guest spot it's you know the this guy, their affiliation with the band, who they were. Uh, there's loads of the new wave of British heavy metal stuff that they've covered, and we've got Aussie and Geezer and all that stuff. And the fact, uh, Rob, that it's in the Fillmore. I mean, a legendary um, San Francisco venue. I'm just on its Wikipedia now. It has a lot of nicknames. It's called the Fillmore, the Mo, the Filmo, the Fimo, the Filthy Mo, the Mighty West Side, and the Harlem of the West. Uh, you know, to, uh, that's, to... that's obviously how I know it as the Harlem of the West. <laughs> the Harlem of the West, yeah. Uh, I can't imagine that's how the Trues would have referred to it back then. But I mean, uh, Metallica are playing here, very small venue. Like when you see the brass band, which we'll get to, which open up, and the, you know they're going through the crowd and stuff. Not a lot of people there. Like this must have been. I, I tried to see what the capacity was, and I, I think it's somewhere around thirteen hundred. So that's I mean, strange. very small venue which, you know, is, is great. I mean, that would be amazing to be able to see that live. But, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, definitely a, a nice little venue in their backyard. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, this is one of those things where there's just, you know, so many kind of people from all over. Um, and it just, so many of the friends that they flew in from all over the world, which is fantastic. So, um, so yeah, we've got a lot to get through. So let's get into day one which um, opens with the Soul Rebels Brass Band. They're a little bit of a, a, a fixture throughout the days. You know, anyone familiar with your kind of um, New Orleans chorus line, kind of Treme, those sort of um, big brass bands. And, uh, you know, we open with them covering some of the boys, like Seek and Destroy, etc. What would you, you make of their presence over the few days? I, I mean, it's it's nice. I, I At least they didn't go too long. I mean, it's a nice <laughs> added touch. I think on um, – I'm not sure which day it was, but on like day two or day three, we learned that they were – that uh, Pepper Keenan owns a band in New Orleans and they were – they're his house band. Right. So I mean, that's a nice little tidbit. Um, it's cool seeing uh, you know the, the intro and I, I like that they didn't overstay their welcome. I mean I <laughs> don't want to sound ungrateful for the, them playing, but you know we're, we're here to see Metallica. We're here to see uh, some, some of the other rock bands and uh, you know it's a nice change of pace. Indeed, and you know we are here to see Metallica as well, but there is an MC uh, as such, Mr. Jim Brewer. Like, I, 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 I don't, man. Yeah, like he's he's the guy, right? He's like their comic, like. Yeah, I mean, they they this is before he uh, was doing the opening for mm-hmm. him, obviously. So, uh, I mean, I, I remember he was on the Icon show. Um, I yes. mean, that's where I first saw him do his uh, Metallica bit, and um, I mean. It, it once again i mean he's fine like while the the boys are probably backstage warming up doing whatever they gotta do i mean he's he's a good guy to warm up the crowd i mean once again small doses you might get sick of him every day if you're you know seeing him every day but mm-hmm. he's uh he's a good guy to have up there 
he kind of has that goofy humor that I think James especially appreciates. Yeah, and also, I mean, he does a great Lars impression. I mean, the James he impression does. is basically just yeah and ooze, but uh, a great <laughs> yeah. Lars impression. No, the Lars, yeah, he gets the inflections perfectly and, like, the cocked head and, like, scratching his back of his neck and stuff. And, you know, one of the things that they do each day as well to warm up the crowd is Jim doing what's called crash course trivia. So it's kind of a bit like a Jeopardy sort of thing. Like, they beam the questions behind, like, what opens this riff, etc., and name that riff as well. Which, um, you know, again, they're sort of just cursory things for us fans. But 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 I love it. It's just Metallica extending a hand, appreciating that we're all as fanatic as they are about this shit. Yeah, I, I mean, and the the video that uh, I mean, there's video available of some of the uh, Jim Brewer stuff from those nights, and I mean, it's pretty funny. Some of the fans and some of the interactions. I mean, one fan like uh, I, I forget what he said, but he kind of made fun of Jim at one point, and he just rolls with the punches. I mean, it, it's it's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, this is all building up to the guys coming on. We should say that at the back, they have the, you know, the triple X's signifying the 30th anniversary and then the amps as well. And it's quite a Spartan stage, uh, but it's still, you know, very uniquely Metallica in in the way that they set it up. And um, opening with Cthulhu, I mean, a great version. And the first time it's been a show opener since November 23rd, 1999. So, um, you know, they haven't really locked it out at that slot for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was... Uh, that, that was, was the S&M, S&M show. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, they each night they open with... Uh, with, what's it called? An instrumental. instrumental yeah. So, I mean, that's the kind of the uh, formula that they follow. And, I mean, th- this one they have locked down. It sounded great. Um, we'll get to some of the other ones that maybe have been were a little shakier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, Cthulhu, I mean, they have it nailed down. It sounded perfect. And I mean, altogether, talking of performances, one of the things that I will say is not only are they in the perfect environment for it, where you have this like rabid, like elite tier of fan who's, you know, is in the Met Club and, you know, they appreciate everything that's going around. But um, the band are so overjoyed. Like, I think I'd read somewhere that James, you know, was really eager to get out playing every night and they're, they're just beaming from head to toe. Like, obviously, when Hetfield's next to his heroes, he's just this giddy schoolboy and it's wonderful. But even Absolutely. here... You know. I, I feel like these shows, I mean, yes, they were for the fans. The Med Club fans were there, the 1300, but this was for Metallica. This was for James. Yes. And I mean, because, I mean, who's getting excited for, you know, the, the guy from Saxon or... <laughs> Sweet you know, Savage. Or, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. But when you look at James, James is pumped. Oh, James man. is excited. These, I mean, these guys did pave the way and, I mean, friends from back in the day. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's nice seeing James uh, look happy. Which, by the way, let me be, let me take a step back. Just talking about James looking happy, um, I can't believe this was only eight and a half I, years ago. James looks phenomenal. Yes, James. yes, he lo- he's in the shape of his life. He was. I, yeah. I think he was getting ready for uh, the, through the Never movie. Maybe he was the, <laughs> the following year because I I can't believe that was not that long ago. No, time it's... is. He did, my friend. Yeah, it, it is. It's bludgeoned him, hasn't it? Because he's very lean, and he naturally was when he was, you know, the, the, the sort of gawky, downy teen. He always had that sort of, um, you know, goofiness to him. Um, but nowadays, like, he just looks, you know, and again, Alpertacker, we love James, not trying to body shame or anything, but with the alcohol, and he just looks a bit tired, doesn't he? And kind of grouchy biker, whereas here yeah, he's I, just very skinny. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, maybe it was, you know, that he fell off the wagon, um, but yeah, mm. the last tour, he definitely looked a little heavier, you know, a little tired, more tired, but um, I mean, hey, time comes for us all, so... It- <laughs> 
<laughs> it does. It does. And, um, you know, one of the things as well. So, uh, you know, if you listen to this, everything you can get online, like the majority of it was shot by fans, uh, Met Fan for Life, Monty I've had on the show before. He's got a compilation that me and Rob have kind of referred to, which has you know, the best ops from all the days. And then I'm we can surprised they never put it out. I mean, I was just going to say, why, why haven't they officially released this? I have no I, I clue. Think, I, I mean, I, I went through my conspiracy theories like, Oh, it maybe didn't sound good. Maybe it was this and that, but mm. I, it's probably because there's too many acts and it, it might be a pain in the butt to like, I don't yeah. know, like legally yeah. get them all to like sign off. Who knows? But I mean, I'm surprised that they never did. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, because, yeah, it is just, if there was like, maybe in the future we'll get it. Like, it's screaming out really for perhaps on the 40th anniversary, there's deluxe repackaging of this. Yeah. And, you know, or, you... I mean, next year, who knows? Maybe there'll be another, uh, maybe there'll be a 40th anniversary show. Well, they joke about there being a 60th anniversary show. Uh, that's when they escape, I believe. Yeah, yes, that's right. Yeah, we'll get to that. But, I mean, uh, could, I mean, they could do, but, like, what else is left to say? Like, there's nothing in the last 10 years they can really recap on. I think they, you know, they got bloody Dave Mustaine at the end. Like, uh, aside from getting a hologram of Cliff, like, exactly. what else can they, which they'd <laughs> never do. Thunder. I was going to say, they get the hologram of Cliff. They, <laughs> yeah. um, and two packs there. And, yeah. well, what other uh, new wave of British heavy metal guy can they dig up to uh, get on stage? That only James knows who it is. <laughs> yeah, so the bassist of Budgie's back. We've got to do a 40th anniversary. Like, he's involved now. So, uh, so yeah, they do their set at the start of this day. So, you know, we have um, No Remorse, uh, which is the first performance, including the second solo and the third verse since 1985, uh, December 31st, which is a nice wink as well. Uh, stuff like Shorty Straw, Leopard Messiah, uh, Day That Never Comes. Like, any, anything stick out for you? I mean, these are all really good performances. Right. I mean, I love hearing the shortest straw and Leopard Messiah is a nice treat. Um, I mean, that, that's basically it. I mean, it. I the first performance, including the second solo and third verse. I mean, who would, who the hell knows that? You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, if Boss. I was there, I wouldn't be like, oh my god, they're doing this. No. No. But yeah. um, I mean, just hearing the shortest straw and Leopard Messiah would be a nice treat because I mean, you never hear those. And, uh, you know, a song that I, you know, I I dissed relentlessly when we first did the episode uh, back there with John early on in the run. Carpe Diem Baby. It's his one live... Of one of <laughs> your top favorites. One yes. of my, like, yeah, this is my Stay Away to Heaven. And, uh, you know... Highlight you know, of the, the four shows for Yeah, you. this is it. This is it right here. Now, I've got to say, it doesn't sound that bad at all. And they have a good time playing We're it. We're bringing endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't sound that bad, guys. It doesn't. <laughs> but it's like, uh, you know, honestly, like, for them, again, just to do something like that. Like, I know what you're saying before is so true about the second solo and stuff, and only the real trues would know that. But a lot of people would know that they haven't whipped this out before. And for them to do it, it's such a great concession, I think, to that era. Right. I mean, it. I actually, I mean, I know you think I'm crazy, but I actually like that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it is nice hearing. I feel like... They kind of joked about the time in the beginning, and I really think that Lars set it off too fast. But, uh, you know, hey, they played it. We never get to hear it. And I I actually – I've listened to it a couple times, you know, in, in preparation for this, and it grew on me. At first I was like, oh, it's too fast. They're not doing it justice. But you know what? It, it's it's a good version. I'm not going to uh, – not going to knock it. I can't be greedy. No. You got to hear it. You had to sit through it, so that that gives me some pleasure that you had to sit through and um, not enjoy it. So um, yeah, I think that was the first real highlight of day one. 
Yes, it's the first, like, you know, um, I've had had some guys on from, like, Pearl Jam podcasts and stuff, and I always joke that they're a bit like bird watchers. They're like, oh, my God, they played Why Go in Seattle and da-da-da-da-da. And it is, this is that kind of, like, rare sighting, and James is really digging in with a cut-bait deal. Like, he's really wrenching it for its full worth. And James actually said we've got to play that more often afterwards. So, and, which I don't I think mean, they have, but... I believe he has uh, lyrics from the song tattooed on him. He does. So it must mean something to him. I, I, it's surprising that he doesn't play it more, or they don't play it more. And, uh, you know, Metallica are nothing if not canny. Uh, they know that every opportunity is an advertising one for the brand Metallica. So each day, you know, along with your instrumentals and stuff, we get a Beyond Magnetic song, in this case, Hate Train. Um, I mean, still... Like, uh, there's still riffs and moments in these songs that I enjoy. And, like, you know, I think um, particularly uh, Rebel of Babylon, I think they give a really good performance of that coming up. But um, what, what do you feel about these Beyond Magnetic songs in general? Do, are any, could any of them got on to Death Magnetic and swap something out to you? Or? Uh, you know, surprisingly, I, I, I they're, they're fine. Mm. You know, like, I, they definitely have their flaws. Like, they go on a little too long. Some, they seem a little disjointed, I think. Um but I, I mean, I don't, I don't mind. Like here, I'm gonna borrow your, uh, your phrase. I don't mind hate train. You know, right. like yeah, I, I hate train. I judge it based on what I put on my my workout mix because I mean, I I've been a Metallica fan since I don't know ninety ninety one whatever mm-hmm. whatever year it was, and I, I mean, I'm not putting Master of Puppets on my mix. I'm not putting one. Like, like there's songs that I'm kind of you know I love yeah. them, but I'm sick of them. So I find myself putting like songs like hate train and you know, Rebel of Babylon and uh, Just a Bullet Away, like, on my, my workout mix, just because I like that it's different, you know? Like, it, it's... So, I it, they do grow on me, but, um, I mean, I, I think it was good for an EP, you know? We got some extra bonus material, and I think they played one each day and then released it that day to the Met Club. Yes. Uh, for download or whatever, so, I mean, it was a nice treat. I don't mind them. <laughs> now, the first uh, misstep, I would say, is uh, Please Don't Judas Me. I, I've i seen them play this song well, um, you know, and I think this is quite a difficult song. It's quite a delicate song with a lot of subtlety, a lot of mood. You know, you can't well, just you, kind of strum out. Are you out. familiar with the original? Like, did you, do you know the original? The yeah, the, the Nazareth song. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, cause I, I, I wasn't too familiar with it, so I listened to that. And, you know, it seemed, it's like, sounds like ominous. It sounds, you know, like moody and, you know, kind of cool. And this version, I don't know what. Uh, I don't know if it was Kirk's guitar or Kirk's slide or what, but mm. it comes off, you know, harsh and shrieking in the it beginning. Does, I, it I does. What the problems were? Yeah, yeah. Kirk seems to not know how to use a slide, and it's not like he hasn't used a slide in loads of songs, "Bleeding Me," etc. Ain't my bitch, but he just. Yeah, I feel like it, it. Yeah, it seemed like he was playing it for the first time. Yeah. It's like it, you thought. I, I don't know. Maybe he didn't, you know, prepare as much as he should have. But it seemed uh, pretty loose and. Yeah, not not as tight as it should have been, and I, I don't know. I I don't know enough about guitars, about tuning, but it just sounded a little off too. <laughs> no, no, it do, it really does. A shrill. A, very shrill, and a lot of people in the comments are saying the same thing. And it's just like you know, I play a little bit of guitar. I don't really use a slide much, but from what I you know, from when I have used it, it's about lightness of touch. It's about you know letting it do all the work for you. Whereas Kirk is literally just pinning it down on the fretboard, like, and he was James like looks at him a bit askance, like it just. Oh, yeah, and and before it began, I I, I was watching yeah. it too. James seems like he's a little upset. Like I think they're waiting for Lars. Like, they are. To, yeah, he's like drumming his fingers on the guitar, and like yeah, he's impatient. A bad start, and it just and then afterwards, I I couldn't quite catch it, but it sounds like James says something like after it's done, like you know, apologizing almost. Like yes, thank 
sitting through like i don't know what he says but it's something that's like apologetic mm-hmm. he knew it <laughs> yeah he did he did and they were on a great run by by this time but that was just a little bit of a misstep and one of the other recurring things that we get throughout the days that i love that they do is they get people from the met club coming up to play with the band and yeah, um you know that is definitely a highlight there's a, there's a you know there's a motley crew of people that come up here and all different personality types and you know metallica i'm sure have had loads of people over the years on stage and just you know doing stuff like this this guy who comes this on guy is my favorite oh my god this guy you is have a, to get him on the show tom yeah, this guy was the man john dent john because you know, because most, like, if I'm sure if I did it, I would go, you know, whatever. I'd, let's say I'd play, you know, Bread Fan or whatever. I would do what most of them do. Be timid. Stand by the drum riser. James is going to come over to you and headbang near you. And you headbang back. And then he'll leave. This guy's stomping the stage. He goes up to the mic without any alert. He's checking back to Lars. Like, he is oh. a front man. <laughs> like, well, once again, this... This took a while to get going, and I. Yes. So let me see. This was after "Please Don't Judas Me," so yep. James probably wasn't in the best mood. He probably was like, "Oh, you know, like that didn't go as planned." And then this guy comes, and he seems like he takes forever to get set up too. Mm-hmm. Like they call him up, and James is like, "They he needs a guitar," which you know, of course. And then James like he can't turn it on. James like turn the knob, and he's just like <laughs> getting frustrated with this guy. And then yeah, the song starts and. The guy's headbanging, like, by the third verse, he's singing along and taking over for James. James even looks at him, it's Yeah. Huge. And then when it's done, he starts pulling the the, uh, the picks off the, the mic stand. He does. And throwing them in the crowd, <laughs> putting them in his pocket. <laughs> the, guy, the guy, and James like, did he just take my pick? Yeah, he does. I love, I love that that guy. Like he just, he just took the opportunity with both hands, and like, I, you know, I appreciate that. And he, and he brought it. And there's quite a funny interaction early on as well, where um, he's sort of playing riffs, and Lars is like, "Do you know Hate Train?" And uh, he just, he, I don't think he quite hears what Lars is saying. There's a little bit of a delay there, but, uh, but yeah, no props. I mean, if we're gonna rank them all, I think everyone does great, and they do way better than I'd ever do. Like play, and mm. I mean, I think. They- submit a uh, video of them playing yes but this guy had the personality i mean we see we see really timid and then we see this guy mm-hmm. and this guy this guy just makes the most of it yeah yeah no yeah it was john dent again you were absolutely awesome like like seriously yeah, on, on the show yeah yeah and lars uh um yeah and james even even says like that's awesome and that sort of stuff and then we get to the next song which um is our first guest actually uh, one of many? Mr. John Marshall comes on for uh, "Sad but True." Rob, yes. Uh, I mean, it, it was fine. I mean, we know John Marshall from filling in for James when James broke his wrist in the '80s, and when James set himself on fire during uh, "Fade to Black" in the early mm-hmm. '90s. I mean, mm-hmm. this guy filled in. Um, I mean, a, a friend from back in the day, I believe, of theirs. Uh, he's in Metal Church, Metal Church high school yeah. friend of Kirk, um, and a guitar tech for Kirk, but. I mean, it, the version, you know, it was fine. He didn't do anything. That's, the, the, what stood out was his height. That's about I was it. I was going to say, I didn't realize he was that towering. Like, even with James, he looms over James. Like, Yeah, he looks like a big lurch. He's a, a big dude. He's a big dude. Like, you're just kind of like an Andre the Giant type. Like, not a fat guy, just a very large, builtly guy. Like, yeah, it just kind of struck me. I was like, is the angle off from this bootleg or something? But like, he's like no, I think he even... He, was that when uh, James even commented the, that the guitar looked small in his hands? Yes. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. the guy just looks like a, 
I, I wonder what his height is. If only there was some uh, somewhere to look that up. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. He must be up there with like the, the tallest rock stars. Like I'm trying to think who else would be up there. Like who's really gangly? Like Stuart Copeland or something is the only one coming to mind for some reason. But metal guys don't seem to be. I can't think of many tall thrashers. You know what I mean? You think of like Dio and Iommi and yeah, they're always a lot shorter than are. you think. They are. Kirk's yeah. very very elfin. Um. So uh. So yeah. Now uh. Next guests. A band that a lot of people associate with Metallica for good reason. I mean, really, Apocalyptica, and also I'd say, uh, Rod, you know, Rodrigo and Gabriella. Yes. It's like I only know of those two bands because they've done high-profile Metallica covers, like Vus is the Power," I suppose. What was that? I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying they both done like a lot of famous Metallica covers. Like I knew Apocalyptica had done their kind of you know symphonic renditions, and then Rodrigo and Gabriella done like Orion and stuff like that. Right. And yeah, uh, I mean. I- I especially know them. I I feel like uh, I got married in 2015, and oh. I was like searching uh, music, like you know, for like cocktail hour, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get all these apocalyptic songs. And I mean, I never did it, but you know, in, in my mind, that would have been the. <laughs> I was listening to a lot of it then, and downloaded a lot of their music then. But um, that's great. That's I mean, great. yeah, and and I, they picked a the perfect song uh, to play with them too, "No Leaf Clover." Mm-hmm. I thought it sounded great. It does sound brilliant. It sounds really, really good. And that uh, song, obviously, they debuted at SNM, but I, it really sounds great. It's not full or- orchestra, obviously, but it it really does well with the orchestra uh-huh. or with with the Apocalyptica. Yes, yes. And one of the things I like about Apocalyptica as well, um, it's more like in the intro of this day and also when they do one coming up. Like they are playing cello and they are doing it in quite a dignified way, but. They can headbang as well. Like, they will shout at the crowd and oh, scream. They, they, they do the solos. I mm. mean, they, they are on point. Yeah. I mean, uh, with, the, with the one um, version during this, uh, they have, you know, yes. James sing along with them, be, you know, before the big machine gun part. But uh, I, I felt like, I, I mean, it was good. I, I Once again, this is one of those where I'm like, ah, is it good? Uh, like, is it just different? Um, because one of the cellos is actually, like, playing the vocal part. So it was kind of, like, doubled up. I, yes. I don't know. I'm just being a little uh, bit of a snob, but I, I feel like they should have muted that part and <laughs> just have James come over it. <laughs> no, I agree. And, then, and the whole band kicks in, and then it's like, oh, I guess uh, we won't be hearing them anymore. Yeah, but, yeah, um, no, no, it's like funny, isn't it? It's like they're still playing as these giant amps are booming I, behind I, them. Because I would have liked to hear the one solo, but, you know, I guess the fans, you know, they're there to see Metallica, so can't, <laughs> you yeah. don't want, or like, want, they... you want to see Metallica play one, you know, one of their most famous songs, but still... Mm-hmm. The, you know, would have been interesting to hear them. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, Apocalyptic come on for No Leaf Clover and then one where, yeah, as you say, James sings the first half and then uh, Lars Kirk and Rob jump in for the second part. Um, another fixture that come round, comes around Rob each day is uh, Mr. Jason Newstead is back. And James acknowledges, which I completely appreciate when Jason comes on stage for the first song, Harvester, that someone's crying in the audience. And he's like, look, it's okay, man. Don't don't worry yeah, about crying. Like, that is, damn. And he gives him a nice um, nice introduction. Yeah. I mean, uh, according to my uh, crack notes here, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I said nice intro from... <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> says, uh, he says a few nice things. He says, oh, two bass players, my worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, what do you think of his song selection? Uh, Harvester of Sorrow and Damage Inc. Great. I think just Jason tunes, you know what I mean? They, they embody that hammerhead nature. Like, it would have been... I wouldn't blame him if he wanted to do Where the World Things Are just because it's my tune or whatever. But uh, I think when you just think of the kind of, you know, the, uh, the just the beast that he embodies, songs like that pound. I, like... I feel like, I mean, do you, 
when J- when Jason was in the band, I never appreciated the background vocals. I was like, you know, ah, whatever, I'm used to it. Uh-huh. And as soon as he's gone, and then you have Robin Kirk trying to fill in, it's like not even close. Like, uh-huh. I I wondered. Uh, I'm like, do they like they're not even loud? I'm like, they it just like they just they're not good at it. Um, Rob, like when Rob tries to do background vocals, it's like a karaoke singer that's like embarrassed to sing, and it's like, <laughs> yes. is my gone? Then someone else goes, and you're like, oh yeah, it's on. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, so I mean, Harvester of Sorrow, Language of the Mad, you know, you have that. Mm. And then uh, you realize how great, you know, how much Jason added to the live performances. Yes. And no, then, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying completely. And uh, I mean, you were saying earlier about the vocal line with Apocalyptica aping James and maybe not needed. I don't mean to be, you know, a little bit of iconoclast or whatever, but it's like, Rob, do we need you on here? Can, can you sit this out a little bit? Like, I kind of want to just see the guys. Man, I thought you were talking about me. I was like, well, oh, right. I'm sorry. You told me to quiet down? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what I did? <laughs> Rob Trujillo. <laughs> talking about Apocalyptica. <laughs> of suicidal tendencies. Yeah. Him. Who did the... No, uh, yeah. Yeah. no, that is true. I mean, like, too ba- Like, why not sit it out? I mean, yeah, he's a part of the band. You're not going to show anyone up, but I don't know. Yeah, oh, it would have yeah. been nice just to have... Tiny thing. I, I agree with that. Not nice to have just the one, you know? Tiny thing, yeah, but, yeah. It just kind of uh, it kind of bunches up slightly sonically, but um, it, you know, so I, I I think it's King Nothing. Like I, I like once again, there's a billion songs. I forget which day it was. We'll get to it, but mm-hmm. you know, when the when Jason comes out for King Nothing, Rod like steps back and lets him do that opening bass line. So yes, yeah. he gives him his spots, uh-huh. but uh, it would you know maybe take a take a cigarette break or something there, Rod. So, something like that, yeah, or just. I don't know, read about Jacko Pistorius or something. I don't know, do something. But uh, but yeah, Harvester of Sorrow and Damage Inc. gets played there. And, uh, you know, it's great at the start of Damage as well, where James is like, let's do another one. Let's do something really fast. And he kind of opens up the requests and then they yeah, kick since, into it. Jason picked him. Uh, I feel like this is... Uh... This is payback for Lars, you know. It's like, oh yeah, Lars, uh, here's a here's a nice slow one for you. Here's Damage Inc. <laughs> he, he fucking left the band. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what he says. <laughs> and uh, so after this, we get another guest. We get Mr. Biff Bifford from Saxon. I, I think it's Biff Bifford. It I might mean, be Bifford, it, yeah. It should be Biff Bifford, but uh, James says Biff Bifford. Biff I'm surprised Bifford. when I saw that or yeah. heard that. <laughs> so uh, they're playing the, uh, the, the, mo- the Saxon classic Motorcycle Man, which is oh, yeah, from this, their... I, uh... That's actually my wedding song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It was the orchestral version of that, the way you went down the aisle, yeah. And uh, this is a nut from the 1980 album uh, Wheels of Steel. And Saxon, of course, you know, majorly influential in Metallica. Not least because Metallica's first gig was actually supporting Saxon. Yeah, I mean, I I think Jason tells the story of... Uh, I, was that was that the one where he's like, how do we even get on that gig? You know, we, we started for them and, like, I think uh, he said Ron McGovney knew mm-hmm. someone or, like, I don't even know, but... Um, yeah, he comes out, starts whistling into the microphone like a, like a lunatic. And, uh, <laughs> it was, I mean, uh, I mean, Biff... that, that, like, in my opinion, that that's all for you, James, you got your wish. This guy is, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Your... you gotta be a real true to know, uh, to appreciate this. Unfortunately, I'm, uh, 
not on that level yet. No, you do. Um, there's actually a guy, people might be aware of him in England, called Harvey Goldstein. He's kind of like a Bill Graham, like a promoter. And he did all the Live Aid stuff in the 80s and all the major, you know, Wembley concerts, worked with Bob Geldof, etc. But there used to be a show over in here in the UK. And the concept of the show was he hosted it. He would, like, rescue washed-up entertainment acts and bands. And I remember there was a Saxon episode. And this was just when I was getting into Metallica and Saxon. And to make them modern, it was a big thing at the time in the UK. Well, it's a, it's a big thing now still. Knife crime. And Saxon did a song about stabbings or whatever. And I, I just remember him saying he was far more comfortable talking about dragons and stuff like that. But he was willing to, uh, to toe the line. And he looks great biff he looks like a classic rock star doesn't he the leather the long white locks like no he does he's still he's still feeling it in uh, 2011 i mean he's mm-hmm. probably in his i don't know 50s or 60s but he's still feeling it yeah 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 and uh you know it, it's mad isn't it like metallica would have paid for the hotel paid for the flights organized everything just for motorcycle man just two or three minutes just just say thank you <laughs> exactly hey that's that's all james man yeah, yeah, it's uh, and we get more, uh, you know, of all James here really as we push out into the Diamond Head set. Diamond Head get four songs here. They do all the big Diamond Head songs: The Prince, It's Electric, Helpless, and Am I Evil. Which, if you're talking Metallica covers, those are some of the most iconic. Right. I mean, Am I Evil? When I first bought Kill 'Em All, I, I think it was uh, something at the time, like it was on Kill 'Em All, Am I Evil, and Blitzkrieg. So. I mean, I always thought it was just part of that album and then like later learned that it was a cover. So, um, I mean, yeah, these songs are uh, definitely synonymous with Metallica. Yeah, yeah. And it's especially when you listen to these tracks, stuff like The Prince and Am I Evil, you just like you can hear the way you hear, with Merciful Fate as well. You can hear Hetfield's riffs in there. Like you can just hear where a lot of his ideas are coming from. And uh, it's awesome. And as... I mean, when Metallica was starting, uh, didn't they steal some of these songs and pretend they were their own? I mean, cause yeah. like no one, no one in the, the Bay Area knew knew of Diamond Head, so they just uh, oh, stole some of the songs. And hey, they don't ask, we won't tell them. That's not how. <laughs> so they play. I mean, it's perfect crime. They play uh, all four of these brilliantly, and you know these are all recognizable covers as well. So the crowds, so the crowd are going mental. And we end as we always do. Uh, day one ending with Seek and Destroy. So they basically get everyone who's been on that day. Uh, Biff is there. Jason's there. You know the the Soul Rebels brass band. And what what do you make of this? Like each day ending with everyone on stage doing Seek and Destroy. I. I mean, it's cool. Get everyone on stage, it becomes jumbled. I, I think the coolest one was the last day, because mm-hmm. then you get to see uh, you know, the original members of Metallica doing yes. it. Yeah. But I, I mean, I the first show I ever went to um, was December 91, um, and they, that's when they did the long-ass version of Seek and Destroy. Mm-hmm. And I, that I'm telling you, that imprinted in my brain like a negative association with that song. <laughs> I feel like it lasted a half an hour, and James went, pointed to every goddamn yeah. section of that place it was like searching and i was like oh my god hurry up like but i mean uh i'm finally uh 30 years later coming out of that and uh, appreciating the song but i do uh like kind of cringe and tense up when i hear the song these days so we get now into the second day december 7th again uh you know we have the jim brewer stuff before that we have the soul rebels brass band uh you know in this case we see them doing some versions of bells which gets everyone pumped up and then you know it almost feels like a uh, a stockholders meeting like it feels like an apple conference thing where all the boys come on and talk to the audience and they have such a great like rapport that, i mean it's hard to find footage of it but i feel like yeah. they did that every before every show yes and yeah. i feel like they get looser with each one as well yeah yeah so, definitely 
Because they sort of clown on each other's heights as well. I don't know if you remember James and Lars doing that, like standing on the amps and stuff. Yeah, and I think even Jim Brewer calls out uh, calls out Lars. I, mm-hmm. I, I forget how tall he is, but he's like, yeah, and then Lars is four foot five, you know, coming out here, like banging on the drum. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's looser. And I, I feel like, uh, yeah, it's not as tight as it should be because, you know, it's like, oh, story time. Now let's talk about Armored Saint. And it's like kind of uh, all over mm. the place. I mean, but whatever. Uh, if I was there, I'd be like, oh, my God, it's so cool. So and, I pitch. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, Armored Saint do play. So there are a few bands that just play that Metallica don't play with, like, you know, people from their days and stuff. And, I mean, shout out Armored Saint and everything, Rob. But for me, they just they just sound like something Brian Slager would have heard a million times on mixtapes, you know? Yeah, I mean, during the, the performance, I mean, I guess uh, John Bush is the lead singer. Mm. That's the which we'll get to and during the second day. You know, yes. That's a big deal. That almost became the lead singer Metallica, according mm. to some story. So, I mean, I, I watched it for that, and it's like, all right, you know, whatever. Uh, and, uh, you know, pushing into the main set of the day, then, we open with the instrumental, uh, we open with To Live Is To Die, which, uh, you know, it's kind of, there's a little sort of um, jam that begins us. We don't get the slide that we normally get of the original, but, I mean, what a monster of a song. Like, it just hinges on that pile driver of a riff, and the band play it spectacularly. You know, it has such a stomp to it, doesn't it? Yeah, and, I mean, late, I, I think the next day they comment on how they, uh, I think Rob talks about how, you know, the first two minutes we weren't, you know, doing well and we were so angry and I mean, it, it may, like maybe the first like 30 seconds sounds a little so-so, but I, I thought it was great. I mean, it was a, a great version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, was that the first time they played it? I believe that was the live debut. Yeah. Right. I so I mean, that, what, what a treat to get that. I mean, if they're a little off, I mean, I think maybe... I was reading, uh, people think like, oh, Kirk changes solos, like, who cares? It sounded good. Like, when I can nitpick the, <laughs> the first, you know, time they played it live. No, totally not. And, you know, we get uh, James's poetry, well, James reading uh, Cliff's poetry, playing over the top as they slip back into that uh, crushing riff. And then it, there's no real break at the end. We transition seamlessly into Enter Sandman. What, what did you make of that turn? Uh, I feel like they want to get it out of the way, you know, like they played it a billion times. Let's get it out front and get to the uh, more obscure stuff coming up. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a version of Ed Sandman. It's a great version. Uh, we then get Holier Than Now, Disposable Heroes, uh, Bleeding Me in terms of the more familiar songs. I mean, any uh, any points from these three tracks? Yeah, let me once again, let me check my copious notes. Hey. Uh, Bleeding Me, I wrote love. So there you go. You won't get that kind of commentary anywhere else. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, what's your thoughts on Bleeding Me? I forget, uh... Oh, no, I, I do, you... yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know I'm the resident Load hater or whatever, but, uh, <laughs> I always, uh, I always point to the A-side of Load, uh, you know, of still having quite a lot of quality on it, and I, I do like Bleeding Me, in particular the solo, and it, it, it's a song, I mean, everyone always says this, but it's a song that's clearly very close to Hetfield's heart, isn't it? He's purging a lot when he's going through those choruses. Right. I, I mean, I love it. It seems it's emotional. It, it always sounds great. I think it was a real treat. Um, it, a little bit hard to find. I think I had to search for it specifically. Um, it wasn't in the, you know, the, the four hour, four and a half hour version that uh, you sent me, but mm-hmm. uh, definitely worth finding and checking out. Yeah. The, high- yeah, it is. It is good version. I mean, the song needs, uh, I know it needs Kirk's clean guitar sound during the slide part. Uh, that sounded a little off for me, but but you know it's only a minor uh, sort of niggle there. Um, 
coming. That can't, can't do a slide. Can't it just seemed to be. Yeah, I don't know why. He just, he just Except Alon to... Torn. I, I, I believe he does it well during yeah. uh, Solo. That's right. That's one right. of my favorite songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, well, we've already got to that, haven't we, on our old episode? And uh, so, uh, yeah, after that, Wasting My Hate which is the first performance of this song since October 15th, 2004. Um, so uh, what do you make of this performance? I mean, this to me could have low-key been a single, you know what I mean? It's quite punchy, it's not too inoffensive. Yeah, yeah, at the time, it never really stood out to me, but uh, I mean, listening to it now, it, it was stuck in my head. I, I, I liked it, you know, it was uh, it was good to hear. I, I think I appreciate it more now hearing it. I like, I need to put it on my, uh, my workout mix. It's weird as well, just the visual, because the way the the verse of what Waste of Hay is like, bam, 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 it's got that almost like a pop punk sort of thing. So the way James is strumming up and down, you don't really see him look like that on a guitar. Normally it's the down picking, you know, just the riff. Yeah. But he looks a bit more like a kind of, I don't know, it looks like something Green Day would do or something. I just never really seen James play guitar like that. Like, it just sort of caught my eye. But um, it's, it's the load era, man. It's yeah, it's era. the load era. It's just, it's just relaxed, you know, it's restrained, it's loose. As uh, as Lars would say, but then things tighten up again. I love that they play "My Apocalypse," one of my favorite Death Magnetic tunes. Yeah, that, I love it. It's a great closer. I think it's up there with all the other you know big closers of their discography. Um, definitely one of the standouts on Death Magnetic. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way the drums drop in as well in the intro, like there's such power uh, in this version. And it, just that, that was one of the songs before Death Magnetic came out. Like one of the, I guess it was a local radio station was playing like a new song an hour or something, and I mm. just like happened in the car and heard it, and I was like, oh my, like they're back, like this is, I loved it, like the first time I heard it, so it's still one of my top songs. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. I'm pretty sure I torrented it on LimeWire or something because there was like the, it was like the, it wasn't called Death Made Day, but it was like the Metallica 2007 demos or something, and something was was lurking around there. We get the um, the next debut of a beyond magnetic tune just a bullet away which you know i know people if you're trying to you're trying to you're trying to think like if, if i was just to say to anyone oh just just think of fight fire fire it's just there it's just in your head it's scored in there but with these beyond magnetic songs like which one's just a bullet away which one's hate train just a bullet away is the one where he goes in the shine of a midnight revolver which just comes I, up you stole my thunder i wrote that down that's all it <laughs> is like what do you mean in the shine of a midnight revolver <laughs> is in is in uh catchy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote that line down uh, to say because it is so ridiculous. But I, I kind of, you know, once again, it's fine. But yeah, it's fine. I never, I never even knew that's what he said until today. I looked it up. I'm like, what is he actually saying? Yeah. There? <laughs> and, uh, I had to Google the lyrics, but yeah, that is, uh, it's that one. It's that one. It's the Midnight Revolver one. Uh, it's seven minutes eleven. It's far too long. It doesn't have that many good ideas. Like, like it be be. You know, be mediocre, be tapioca, but be four minutes. I don't think they need to draw it out that long. But still, because everyone's such good spirits and they're clearly buoyed by playing new music, you know, it's it's enjoyable to watch. Um, when you go to a, if you see a band live, do you like if they play a new song or a song you're unfamiliar with? I mean, I feel like that's when it's like like ah, like I, I don't know. It's cool that we're hearing this, but you can't appreciate it unless you actually know where the song is going. At least in my no, no, no. I, I, I completely agree as well. And it's very rare you come away thinking, oh, that was a great song. Like, you know, because, yeah, you just you need a few, you know, you need a few listens for songs to sink into your head, don't you? Like, you need whenever... to know where it's going. You know, you, you can't, you obviously can't sing along. You're all of a sudden there's a big change and you're like, wait, what? What's going on? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. And there's just, 
there's just a mood shift, isn't there, as well? And there's just kind of like, yeah, and, and they're always going to be pushing out the, you know, the way in there. But I don't, you know, Shining Midnight Revolver, not really for me. Um, more a fan of Bread Fan. So this is our Met Club cover um, with Andrew Dowis here, who is a little more sheepish, you know. He's... He, I think he plays it the way that you should because he's a little, a little humble, a little respectful. He yeah. nails it, kicks ass. And uh, I mean, it's not it, like he played it perfectly. He didn't steal picks. He didn't uh, try and steal the spotlight from James. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> And he looks like uh, he should be in the band Rush, so... Yes, he totally does. And, uh, no, he's great. And, you know, I like how James screams, Andrew! Like, he screeches his name as well, which uh, I would certainly have him as my ringtone if I was Mr. Dowis. And, uh, yeah, he is great. He, does, he doesn't fumble it or anything like that. Like, um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Linkin Park uh, would always get people on stage to play songs with them. And there's quite a famous YouTube video of this young kid being booed off stage because he just couldn't play the riff. So, uh, so yeah, in this case, Andrew does not fulfill that prophecy. And he's great. And, you know, it's a good version of Bread Fan. And Memory Remains, I mean, there was one guest they'd have to have, right? Marianne Faithful herself is on stage for Memory Remains. I, I think everyone in the band is nervous as hell when she gets by the mic. They're like, oh, they're having oh, flashbacks. SNL flashbacks, yeah. yeah. And, I, I mean, I saw that. I saw the Saturday Night Live um, spot, you know, on TV yeah. when it played live. And I remember being like, whoa. <laughs> I haven't really revisited it. But, um, yeah, I, I, she was... I mean, she was better than uh, I expected. She, I, I read that she smoked ten packs a day for the weeks leading up to this to sound just right. And uh, no, I mean, she, she did, she did great. I mean, it she was so, such a relief, and I feel like every time she starts to talk in the mic, like, like you know, getting nervous, people get nervous, and uh, she's like, "Rob, I follow you," and it's like, "Oh God, does she even know what she's doing?" But yeah, I mean, she was fine. She was good. Yeah, and she... the crowd, of course, the big ending, and I oh, feel yeah. like she's digging that as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, she definitely vibed off that. And it was quite cool as well, like, in the verses when she's not singing, and there's quite heavy riffs coming down. She's just kind of, like, bobbing on her own, and she puts, like, a, a playful hand on Kirk's arm as well, and they smile at each other. And, I mean, she is an obvious legend in, in so many senses of the word. So for her to come out there and play with them, and, you know, they're all arm in arm and stuff like that. And um, at the end, she's sharing a mic with Kirk, like, they're John, Paul, and George, or something like you know. I, I yeah, it, it's great that Marion came up for Memory Remains. Now, um, someone who I'm sure you know, if if he didn't come out, no one would have really bothered. But it's fine. Uh, Raymond Haller from Sweet Savage. They do Killing Time. Killing Time, or as I call it, the word where James says the song where James says the N word. Is that true? That is true in the original version. So they re-recorded it for Garage Inc. But uh, in the Sweet Savage version as well, who are an Irish band, um, the lyric is, I forget what the exact lyric is, but it's like looking out for that street air. And uh, James does sing that on the original, not on the re-recorded version. Um, And it gets said in this version. It kind of slips by. It's like Shine of a Midnight Revolver. It's like you don't quite realise it's there. But um, this guy comes on and this guy's pulled straight out of 1982, isn't he? Like, I love his stage moves, his stance. Yeah, this guy, this guy was into it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it was one that, once again, like it played, didn't really mean anything to me. Um, so, I, I mean, it's kind of just there, you know. Like, I, mm-hmm. whatever, it's for James. 
and maybe you enjoyed it more. Maybe you know you're playing the CP says the N word game, but yeah, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, now now that you say that, I want to go back and listen. Like, oh yeah, definitely check it out. I mean, yeah, I'll just point that out because you know it's uh, it's just a kind of interesting little trinket there. But uh, but yeah, Raymond Haller's there from Sweet Savage of of uh, the Killing Time song. And next up, Lars comes forward to tell a story. Uh, 1999, going into a bar. And Kirk was apparently pissed out. He says maybe they're in uh, Nuremberg, Germany or something like this. And this guy comes on and they become best friends. And then he goes on to open for Metallica. And Lars calls him probably the biggest, most real rock star in the building tonight. Which is very offensive, really, considering <laughs> that... Really? That guy? Yeah, this guy, Kid Rock. I mean, uh, are, you, are you a Kid Rock fan, Rob, in general? or? I can't say that I am. I mean, I never really uh, went too deep into his discography. I uh, just know, you know, what I hear on the radio. But mm-hmm. uh, let me tell you, when he started, like, this was, uh, I heard, you know, like, I don't know, you probably approached me to do this show two weeks ago. So I, like, just did, like, a quick li- listen through to some of these songs. Mm-hmm. And immediately I was like, oh, my God, I can't stand this. Like, him doing the spoken word beginning, I was like, this is terrible. Then yeah. I gave it another listen a few, like you know, a few days later, and I'm like, ah, maybe it's not bad. And then the deciding was, I played it for my wife. I'm like, what do you think of this? And she said, this is garbage. She's like, this is the worst of the versions. I'm like, you know what? I, you're probably right. I don't know what I was thinking. So I, it's rough. I, I, what do you think? I think this is bad. Yeah, bad, bad. Uh, you know, Metallica and Kid Rock don't really go well together. Like, you know, a lot of people remember the um, the Parkway show uh, in Kentucky, I believe it was, where they did Fuel and stuff, and he was on the decks remixing as the song played. But yeah, I didn't. I'm not a giant fan of the Metallica. I love the original. I think the original's terrific. I just, I think the Metallica version and this version even more so just kind of cheapens it and makes it very kind of plastic rock. You know. Uh, here we go with the Tomisms, the plastic rock. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of uh, quite like the Metallica version. I, I must say I'm a basic, uh, basic bitch. But um, <laughs> I, I, I definitely, I, I mean, I don't know if I would rank it above the original, the Bob Seger, but mm. um, this is like far and away, by far the worst version of the three. What's, I mean, I've, what's I've so what's so bad for you? Like what? <laughs> yeah, what 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 rings hollow on the version? Or I. I it's just the first of all the spoken word mm-hmm. I can't stand. I, I maybe I just don't like his voice. He can't. He doesn't sing. He doesn't really have a, a singing voice. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just uh, it's lame. And the the cheap tricks. He goes really high. I, I don't know. Just yeah, yeah. At home. It's it's garbage. And he's like, yeah, gonna smoke a big fat joint. And it's just it's all very yeah. <laughs> it's a little it's a little pandering certainly. Uh, <laughs> Guy is going to bring COVID back to uh, Nashville too. I just learned that this week. His it, his uh, bar in Nashville is like open for business with like no masks and packed oh. to the packed to the gills. But you know whatever. Mr. Rock, uh, Robert James Ritchie Senior. By the way, is apparently his real name. I don't know why I've got that in my notes. I must have just seen that on Wikipedia at the time. But uh... I, I did see his name. I think I looked him up to see if I could find anything about him. And uh, yeah, he's got the corny name. He's Kid Rock. He grew up. Uh, He's trying. He tries to be like I'm the white trash like hero, but he grew up wealthy, and so you're a big fan. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, I know he's got a lot of hip hop origins, and that's he started out as pretty much a rapper, didn't he? Rather than like a kind of crossover artist. But uh, yeah, I mean, still Kid Rock's out there paying his respects to the boys. Next up, we have uh, Four Horsemen with John Bush. 
you know, again, including the first for the first solo since 1985 or whatever. But uh, how was this vision of Metallica for you? How, how did John Bush do as a frontman? I I think it's a, a very good version. I think it's mm. really good. He's got the the right voice for it. I mean, I don't see like you know, I I don't see him. Uh, being a part of Metallica, like, you know, it's, it's good to hear, like, the old high-pitched James uh, being sung correctly. But, I, I mean, he brought the energy. As far as the, the version's concerned, I this one I actually do appreciate the fact that the first uh, solo was played, which, you know, I just think of it as the slow solo, like, the you know, the slow Kirk part. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, that's a treat because I feel like they, anytime I've heard it, they uh, just skip right over that and just keep it fast. But... Um, I thought it was a really good version as far as, you know, playing with other other artists. I, I feel like this was one of the top ones, maybe a highlight. Yeah, yeah, he gets a big reaction. He's embraced by James. He get you know, he asks people to make noise and he's headbanging his own way and he's quite yeah, a f- was, you know what, his state for a front man, I feel like his uh stage presence was a little corny. That was like his go to line. Like, it was a, yeah, yeah, it was a little old school, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It did feel like something like the Lamoir or something. But uh but still <laughs> the hell am i to critique though you know like hey Jesus. we're just fans i mean you know i'm sure john's not listening back so uh but you know if you are mr bush uh we'd love to have you and and john dent as well the met club member uh we, we can john dent. i want forget forget uh john bush we want john dent <laughs> how, do, how do you feel about the next three songs with uh mr lou reed coming on stage it's all you these i didn't it wasn't in the, the long version that you no. sent me so they seek him out i did listen to white White light, white heat. It was fine. I mean, this is towards the end of Lou Reed's life, um, yes. so I'm not going to talk badly about it. But um, I mean, whatever. He he was old. He uh, the singing left a little to be desired. Um, won't be revisiting these on any uh, subsequent rewatches. No, I'm glad we've got versions of these songs live. But I agree. Like the, 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 there's times when they've done them in a German TV studio and they're promoting Lulu just earlier in the year because this would have been the most recent release for the band at the time. And they're slightly more polished. I mean, Lou by his nature is discordant and um, you know a little weary and and uh, geriatric. Uh, they cover White Light, White Heat, which is probably the most memorable one. But even then. Again, it's kind of, if you're doing these new wave of British heavy metal covers, they can just coast along on their energy. But these are a little more lethargic. So um, nothing too much to uh, write home about here. But James, yeah, again. Let's bring out Jason Newstead. Uh, Jason Newstead's here to uh, to wash away the taste of the view and ice tunny. Uh, he's here for Creeping Death and Battery, which, you know, again, these are songs that the band knock out the park anyway and bolstered by Jason. And especially uh, Jason with the die chant. Um, mm. I mean, yeah, I have to have Jason come out and do this version. Because uh, just having Kirk do the die, die, is not powerful. you got to have the die. You know? <laughs> no, but it's, it's when Jason goes, motherfucker, die. Like, oh, my God. Exactly. When that motherfucker comes beforehand. Like, I remember hearing that as a kid being shocked, being, like, unnerved. I was like, this is some angry shit. So. Oh, I love you. And then mm. anytime I hear any version of it, you have to sing the live version, the motherfucker, yeah, die. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Oh, and uh, yeah, no, this is uh, yeah. Still, they do uh, creepy death and battery, pretty much to round out day two. And just before we get to the scene destroy, we do have a long medley here. We have the merciful fate cover with merciful fate. Now, I will say, um, probably just because I was reared on the you know the quote unquote original, the cover that did on garaging. I, I love the merciful fate medley. I actually covered it solo um, on our Metallica, but. I- 
Yeah. Am, am I being? Uh, am I going to be thrown out of the metal fraternity for this? I can't stand King Diamond's voice. Like it, it, it it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. I, you know what? It, this is one of the weird. Like you know, you can't get a gauge on what I like and dislike based on what I say because this. I listen to it. It's almost comical. Mm. Like it is like. Like what? And he likes to throw in the yeah, like what? Like what? I can't do it justice. It's like, yeah, yeah. Octopus, I just did, and but then I find myself the rest of the day singing like that, scaring my my dog and cat, going like how? Like you know, like, I it's stuck in my head. It, it for the novelty of it, I thought it was fun. I actually circled it as you know, like I'd recommend watching it. Yeah, I do like James's singing better, but I mean, hey, the guy. I, oh, and something that I, I read, I, you know, looking into it, I, I think he had a quadruple bypass, uh, King Diamond did, yeah. a year before that. So, I mean, cut him some slack. That's mm-hmm. his, that's his stick. It's amazing. He was up there doing it anyway. Um, no, but, really- I mean, just, just to see once. And I'm telling you, it's catchy. Those, uh, those high pitched, uh, screams get stuck in your head. Oh yeah, no, he commits definitely. And he's still capable of doing it, uh, despite the surgery. And, uh, and yeah, it's, um, it, you know, you guys know these songs. You have like, um, you know, what is it? Curse of the Pharaohs and I'm a witch, whatever it's all, most of it's of it's, Melissa. I think, uh, they're a big influence of Lunar Satan. Yes. Oh yeah, certainly. Certainly a lot based on that, yeah. And again, like with Diamond Head and stuff like that, just for me, looking into the um you know, the the sort of DNA of Hetfield's guitar playing and that sort of technical stuff is fascinating to see. And yet again, they're just having so much fun here and uh you right. know and looking at my amazing notes once again, here, here's some detailed analysis. Right. I wrote in two different spots, like not without even realizing it. Shirtless James. I, I must have been really impressed. <laughs> so James is feeling it so much uh, that he took his shirt off. So I'm sure, uh, yeah, I'm sure you could see the Carpe DM lyrics somewhere, somewhere on his uh, on his washboard chest. Yeah. Right. Looking for it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we have that. We have the Merciful Fate um, rendition, and then we get Seek and Destroy as well. Uh, I don't think I watched that Seek and Destroy on day two. Did you got any notes on that? Or and and you have a Metallica podcast? What the <laughs> hell? Um, um, no, I can't. I don't remember anything from it. Can't tell you. Couldn't tell you anything about it. Okay, so we get now into the third day. Um, which again, obviously, they open with the um, you know the brass band. Well, in, in terms of our uh, the sort of the compilation that we were watching, Rob. So this was like they showed the museum that they had, and yep. um, they also have like a kind of uh, you know if you remember on Big Brother, they have the diary room. They kind of have that for fans who give the congratulations to Metallica. I mean, there's nothing really profound said, but yet again, it's really interesting to see what people yeah, do say. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate uh, when I come across like I'm just like a, a mean person, like oh. That's so lame, but you know, if I was there, what would I have said? Yeah, exactly. Say, yeah, you know, there was that one woman who was like kind of like snotty to her friend, like doing the like she's talking too much motion while mm-hmm. she was talking. Like, I was like, oh, that's that's bitchy, but um, I mean, yeah, whatever, it is what it is. It, it's I at first I you know get that turned off reaction, but then I'm like, hey, what would I have said if I was there? I would have said the same stuff, so I mean, it was it was fine, it was cute. <laughs> and uh you know we get jim brewer as well in the intro with the guys uh they tell a story about being on a jeep in south africa uh and, and being scared shitless you know like i want to tell a story and jim's like yeah tell it and then jim tells the whole story for him. <laughs> he's like you know what i'm gonna tell it better um like they didn't they went on safari uh, what's the story there why were they on a safari in south africa those two 
I'm not sure. I guess maybe they vacation together, as you guys like to say over there. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, they were uh, they were out they were there. Holiday, the ho- yeah, holidaying as 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 we say over here, yeah, uh, and. Um, yeah, so Jim, you know, we've got some more stuff there. Again, this is why we need the DVD releases. We need sort of the uncut stuff. Like, you could really sprawl this out to a proper box set uh, with tie-ins and, and whatever. And obviously Metallica did have merch there as well. I saw a few things on their websites with the prices. And, you know, it was kind of gougy. But do you know the whole idea of, I think the whole Four Nights cost $19.81 in homage to their first year. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, at, around this time, I see in my notes uh, uh, probably the biggest lull, I would say, the Salesforce CEO and uh, someone someone from uh, San Francisco government or something. Oh, yeah, get... that bit's so weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I feel like people are booing a little bit. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> get out of here. Like, just give it to them off stage, and, you know, they could display it in the in the museum. Like, this – that was just weird. Yeah, it's, it's like weird some... that it are, are cut too in, in that long video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like some some local ordinance guys, like on behalf of the San Francisco mayor, and it's like you know this proclamation from City Hall that uh, um, you know <laughs> Metallica Day. Apparently, it's Metallica Day, and uh, you know lots of thanks is given as well to Metal HQ. You know to everyone who does the right, yeah, payroll the to the Lars's towels or or whatever. You know those all get. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rather than raise, we'll get you up here and give you a an ovation there. There's yeah. your raise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, so moving on from that, then in terms of the uh, music, we have Laz Rocket or Lars Rocket, who people may remember or the name because I believe he was going to be. Oh, uh, he's in the running to be the replacement bass player along with Jason. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I was wondering what the connection was. Yeah, he was on, uh, you know, those um, those infamous auditions over there. And I think he was one of the guys. And uh, I forget the name of the other guy as well. But the, there was three of them in the running. And, uh, you know, the band themselves, kind of a, you know, well-known Bay Area thrash band. Had a lot of high, uh, critically received albums, but never really broke through much. I mean, again, you know, it's nice that they bring some local flavor. I, I wouldn't say they're that memorable, but still cool to see. Yeah, like I, I did watch the performance, and I can't tell you if I, I remember any of it. I remember the Salesforce uh, CEO and the the mayor or whatever more. I, I don't yeah. remember the performance. I yeah. wrote down Bay Area Thrash. That, Bay- <laughs> that, yeah, that kind of nails it. Yeah, that's certainly that. Uh, and uh, the guys open with Suicide and Redemption, preceded by a little jam on one. Uh, what did you think of this instrumental? I, I, I feel like I in the comments people were hard on it, but I, I thought it was – for the most part, good. Um, the guitar harmonies in the middle sound a little off to me, but you know who the hell am I? It's probably just you know listening to it on an iPad. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, I thought it was good. Um, James nailed the, his solos. I, I mean, I thought it was a good version. I, I mean, I like this. Uh, I like this instrumental. So, I mean, I would have been pumped to see it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, me too. Yeah, and I remember when we covered it, covered it on the show, and this is one of the. I think the only times I've ever been performing things performed a few times. And yeah, it was decent here. Uh, certainly, I love the fact, again, that opening with the instrumental. And then we get our batch of kind of Metallica songs, as it were. So, you know, these are all pretty familiar. Uh, Master of Puppets, Into Justice, Into Wolf of Man, Fade to Black, Thing That Should Not Be. Um, any, any uh, referring back to your crack notes, Rob, anything of note here Let's on see. these tracks? What do I have written here? I, I had nothing written for any of those songs until we get to I Disappear, which is after the thing that should not be. And uh, I, ju- I have a check mark next to that. Uh, that's that's my note. Okay. So I, it's, it's a treat to hear, I guess. Yeah. It's, I mean, the song 
whatever. But, you know, it. hey, they played it. It was a special occasion. Why not? When else are you going to hear them play? I disappeared at that point, that stage of their career. I agree. And it's cool to hear them do it. And, you know, they haven't necessarily got that kind of that wide angle kind of searing delay or whatever that comes through. I will say, people... I, I like I Disappear, but if we go back and listen to it, it's so weird. It has like a little uh, late 90s needle drop, you know, like when someone scratches a record, like, like kind of like almost a DJ thing. Like it has that in the song. And I always think, am I hearing things? But on Spotify, on iTunes, it's there. I don't know why they put that in there, but it's there anyway. Do you think that that's what that is? You don't think that's just a, a guitar, like scratch, uh, you know, a pick scratch? I'm convinced. Like, it, it sounds too distinct to that. It really does. It's like how on... In The Unforgiven 2, this is just stuff you realise as a Metallica podcaster, there is what sounds like, I know it's not it, but it sounds like the sound when you log on to Skype or someone sends you a message. It's this really, like, odd one second, like, beep! You hear, like, that sort of sound on it. I'll send you a time link for it. And on on some, say, anger songs... Please do because you sound you sound crazy right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, I know I sound mad, and I pointed it out when we did the episode of Aurelian uh, on Unforgiven Two. I pointed that out and uh, sent him a little timestamp for it as well. Uh, and also on Saint Anger, there's a lot of wind on the mic, but that might just be James kind of you know just being quite gusty. But uh, but yeah, I, I think the I Disappear version is excellent as well. Who ever said you pick her, Tom. I, I don't know. Yeah, said that? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Outlaw Torn, you know, song that we covered. If you want to hear me and Rob, uh, you know, debate compositionally the merits of that track, go back and check out our episode. But uh, h- how was this version of, of it live for you? If you want Tom's incorrect opinion, go download that episode <laughs> where he's like, oh, it's it's generally rubbish. Morally, uh, not morally. Um, it's uh, bankrupt, uh, devoid of anything worth of substance. Um, to help an impression I do of you. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I love the S&M version. Um... You know, the original S&M 2, I feel like it adds to the song. Mm. This was great hearing. I mean, this was before, you know, obviously before S&M 2, and they never, you know, they it, it's a nice treat for the, you know, that moment in time. And uh, I, I don't know. I thought it was a good version. I uh, I wrote, uh, I put a, a check mark next to it, and I said, James improvises at the end. I thought yes. that was cool. You know, for that solo that lasts, you know, people say it lasts way too long, that outro. Um, sure, it goes on for a while, but hey. Watch to the end. You get to see James do a little, uh, go a little crazy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, one of my one of my highlights. I recommend it. I agree. I agree. That's certainly a treat. Um, you know, to see just see James uh, soloing out uh, the elongated nature of it. Hell and back. So we've got another live premiere here. We've got another Beyond Magnetic song. I mean, it's new music in the form of more anonymity for me. It's a little formless. It's a little generic. I mean, it's just not that memorable. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it didn't make my workout mix. It's all you need to know. <laughs> uh, next up is a uh, Met Club cover. Now, I don't. I guess they got to choose as Met Club members what they wanted to cover. It's like Bread Fan. Yeah, makes sense. Wherever I'm in Rome, classic. I'm not saying Blitzkrieg isn't a good song, but I think there's way more. There's way better songs you could cover it, with Metallica. It's weird. It's weird that they like that they pick a cover. I mean, Blitzkrieg and. Uh... What was the one that you just said? Uh, uh, bread fan. And, you know, it, it's it's interesting that these people selected a cover, but, hey, Blitzkrieg, I like it. I, uh-huh. It was oh, yeah. that uh, Am I Evil were on the copy of Kill 'Em All that I, I bought as a as a teenager. So, I mean, I I was into it. I, I thought it was a Metallica song. It's cool with me. Uh-huh. And the guy did a great job. I mean, he, this guy seemed nervous. He was, like, on the other spectrum, the anti-John Dent. 
this guy came up and like was turning his back and I don't even think he said hi to James at first like he was just like nervous as hell but I mean the guy I mean he kicked ass it was a good cover he did he did he did and uh yeah this is a really good song as well and hearing it live made me appreciate it uh more and more and people should go back and check out the Blitzkrieg episode that I did of Alpha Metallica because I actually had Brian Ross on who I guess would have been here maybe he, he being the guy who wrote Blitzkrieg was in Blitzkrieg etc the original singer and uh, I was listening back to the episode the other day actually and he said that him and Lars are still in contact and in 2002 or 3 Lars sent you know the early mix of St. Anger to him and he told Lars that it was shit and stuff like that so uh, shout out to Brian for not holding back but yeah they, they cover Blitzkrieg uh, with Joseph and um, you know someone who Metallica you know, have always been giant fans of you know I know that the Dirt record was a big influence on Load and Reload and um, you know Metallica are sitting at the front of Alice in Chains' Unplugged MTV Unplugged concert amongst many other things Jerry Cantrell's here now um, for whom the nothing else matters makes sense to me for whom the bell tolls is that a logical thing for them to cover do you think or uh, not at all uh, <laughs> no. yeah, Jerry Cantrell it's not like I, I don't know, like what it's not using his vocal capabilities. I don't think he sings at all, and it's just it's a pretty basic song anyway. Like, what is he going to add? Mm. I mean, I, I feel like there are better choices um, to have Jerry Cantrell on. It was it was just very basic. I mean, what did yeah. he add? Very little. I mean, he could have taken a verse at least, but he doesn't. So it's uh, yeah, it's a bit bit of a mystery there that they do that, but still great to see uh, Jerry up there. They do nothing else matters as well, uh, which is a bit more suited to his range. Uh, really good version. Now um, coming into the mix is <laughs> Animal from the Anti Nowhere League for So What, and like a lot of these guys, like you know your Sweet Savages or whatever, or your your Biff Biffords, Bifords, whatever. Animal, he's a whole different. He's like the missing link. This guy's like a like a heavy metal superhero geezer. Like, not disappoint. He, he's pretty much like you know who the hell knows what the guys from Anti Nowhere League uh, what they look like, but yeah. he's pretty much what you expect: thrusting, gesturing, like mm-hmm, doing the jerk off mm-hmm. motion, doing the, like I ran my cock right down his throat motion. Like, Jesus, yeah, yeah. Like, this guy, this guy, like thirty years later or forty years later. Still putting on the performance of a lifetime. Uh-huh. It, it was a fun performance. It is. It is. Yeah, he's throwing shapes down. He's you know he's leaving nothing behind. And uh, you know, Kurt moves the solo terrifically, and the band own it. And you know, he embraces James at the end. And obviously, so what's on a slightly higher tier than a lot of the other Metallica covers, just for how regular it's played, and you know, from the effect that it can garner. This is the first performance, including all four verses, since October twenty fifth, nineteen ninety two, as well for any uh, eagle eared listeners. But um, but yeah, Animal Man, like uh, you know, you've got to think that so many of these rock stars, they've not really had the opportunity. Like, okay, they sell tour or whatever, but this is a totally different kettle of fish isn't it they can go back to their glory years and really revisit that pomp yeah and animal was feeling it i mean this this guy he didn't pull a jerry cantrell and stay in the the background he was uh no. he was ready to perform he, he was waiting 40 years for this moment <laughs> well talking about staying in the background um when we covered this next song on the show tuesday's gone uh we referred a lot to this performance and a lot of people have commented on this performance on youtube and i'm sure it's a case of it looking a certain way and obviously not reflecting it in actuality but um gary rossington gary rossington one of the og members of leonard skinner still tours with the band he was on the plane that went down in the swamp and he survived um he's in the back of this cover like you'd think that he'd be front and center but it's more like james with like pepper keenan and jerry cantrell rather than the actual guy like i 
yeah, I watch this and I see the comments and, you know, I, I hear the, the talk of like, why is he in the background? He should be front and center. Like, but you know what? It, it might have been up to him, you sure. know, like maybe, maybe that's what he wanted. We don't know that. I'm sure James like didn't tell him like, stand in the back. I got this, you know, like <laughs> it, it's, it's probably what he like he had, I'm sure he had every opportunity to perform it however he wanted, but I mean, give the guy, give the guy a break. I mean, that's fair. No, that's a fair riposte. Yeah, no, that is fair, and I think that is the case. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but but still, very cool. The original members there. I mean, by its nature, this is quite a sprawling song. Think about you know the, the jam that it is on on garaging. Like, what did you make of the performance altogether? I, I I liked it. I mean, I'm not a big you know. It was never. I was never a big fan of the song. Like mm. you know, it does. It is long. It does go on for a while. It doesn't really go anywhere. But I mean, as far as the performance was concerned. Um, I, I it was fine. Pepper Keenan got to got to sing a verse or two. He's wearing his Britt Michaels uh, bandana hat yep. uh, with the attached hair, I think. <laughs> but um, it uh, I thought it was good. I mean, you know, they don't read the comments; they'll they'll make you hate it. But uh, yeah. in in my opinion, I thought it was a decent cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and next up is our batch of Newstead songs of the day: Fuel and Fight Fire with Fire. Again, two songs that have Jason all over them. You know, he wasn't going to go for. I don't know, Hero of the Day or something, like we were going to get some Barnstormers, and uh, I think he brings it with both of these. Right, yeah, Fuel, you get to hear the, the background vocals, and then Fight Fire with Fire, another F you to, to Lars, you know, like, play this fast one. Um, interesting choice, Fight Fire with Fire, I mean, he wasn't even with the band, but hey, I yeah. mean, uh, I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah, and just to reiterate from what Rob said at the start of the episode, do not check out the Alpha Metallica episode where we covered Fight Fire with Fire. Uh, I will have to uh, re-record that with some AI or something in the future, just to uh, just uh, just uh, help help other generations not be scarred. So, hey, yeah, you know what? Uh, let me just say, I I'm not saying like the metal kid or whatever his name is. Like, yeah, God, like just listen to my Whiplash episode, and you'll see. Like, uh, you can become a deer in the headlights. It happens to the best of us. <laughs> you got Tom coming up with you know these crazy like long-winded uh, intros, like. <laughs> What, what about that fourth bit right after the third verse, but before the second bridge? You know, like, you're, you're like setting me up. And I'm like, wait, what part? And you have the pulse pounding crack with the last snare pad with the unrelenting down picking of Hetfield's right wrist, all culminating in a transcendent state of thrash nirvana. What say you, Rob? And it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good riff. Yeah. I, 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 I feel for that. <laughs> you could be an intimidating guy, you know, man. You, you're. You're a poet. You're you're very loquacious. You're very uh, <laughs> it's a, on another level. And then you're like, oh, what what do you think about that? And it's like, oh yeah, it's fast. You know. Oh, so wow. Okay. No, I that... for you. No, man, I'm not putting you down. I'm saying like. <laughs> no, I know. I get it. I get it. And uh, I feel like I've got with Phil Tal over here or something. This is like a therapy session. I'm like, yeah, I need I need to hear this. I think I think this is important to hear. So. Uh, uh, I, I was thinking about that uh, leading up to it because I'm like, you get the you get the call, not the call, you get the email like two weeks out, like, yeah, do, do you want to do it? Do, do you fancy doing this episode? And I'm like, you know what? I do fancy doing this episode. Let's do it. And then you lead up to it and you're like, what the hell am I going to say about these songs? I'm getting nervous. Like, Tom, Tom has like books written about this stuff. And I, here I am like, yeah, it's a really good version. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you're genuinely putting yourself down, but uh, but no, I, I I appreciate I appreciate what you're saying. So, uh, uh, Glenn Danzig is in the fold now for mm. the next three songs, which are Misfit covers. I mean, Glenn, bless him, he puts a lot of energy in, but yeah, he whips himself in a frenzy. But oof, yeah. I wrote oof, rough, a little like a, he. Uh, I mean, yeah. 
Hey, it's good seeing him. I, I'm surprised he did so many, especially if Glenn is sounding like that. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like James was trying to save him with some of the singing, like taking over a little bit. But, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, hey, he was feeling it. It's a big inspiration. Good. Get him up there. Um, yeah. It was not one of the better performances of this uh, this four-day uh, span. No, here. no. I was kind of getting, like, uh, slightly dehydrated meatloaf vibes from him. Like, he was just a bit... You see, I don't know if that's the Misfits way. I'm not too up with their history, you know what I mean? And obviously Cliff idolised them. But, uh, yeah, this is <laughs> this one is slightly like, you know, it's, it's been a high hit rate at this point. But he just, the notes are not his friends, I think. Yeah, I, I don't know when he lost it. I mean, I, I don't follow the band, but yeah, he was not, he was having an off night that night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they, uh, yeah, they covered Die, Die, My Darling, Last Caress, uh, and then Green Hell. So obviously those two sort of play into each other. Um, just before we get to seeing Destroy to Close the Third Night, Rapid Fire, which is a Judas Priest cover with Rob Halford, which is very cool. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that Metallica covered so many bands, but I don't think they've actually, to tape, to wax, covered a Judas Priest song, right? Yeah, did they? It's his first performance since 94. I mean, I guess they played it. They must but have played it live, but I don't think they've ever actually, yeah, recorded it. But, I, okay, there's a few ones, like, you know, Saxon before as well. But um, what, what did you make of this? Like, it's very, you know, Rob Halford, obviously, like, you know, up there as, like, one of the gods, along with James. So to see them yeah, sharing the stage. I, following Glenn Danzig, I mean, talk about someone that, like, he maintained, he still has his voice, in my opinion. He's yeah, great. he does sound um, great. I mean, I'm not familiar so much with the song, but... I mean, that was a good version. He sounded great. He was hitting the notes. And then uh, Glenn Danzig must have been like, what the fuck? You're, you're following me with this guy? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a good, uh, a good performance. And uh, what a, a batch of characters on Forsaken Destroy. Obviously, we've got Newstead. Uh, we've got Danzig. We've got Animal. We've got Laz Rocket. We've got Pepper Keen and Jerry. Like, I mean, it's another version of Seek, isn't it? So it's familiar to the rest. But uh, I like this Motley Bunch. Yeah, uh, can't can't say too much for it. The only one that stuck in my mind is The Last Day. So mm -hmm. whatever you got, I'll, uh, I'll just sit back and listen. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all I've got. But it's just like seeing Animal especially uh, just giving it its all. And it's like... It, you know, I, I have to go back and watch for Animal. That, that's my bad. I, I need to I need to check it out. <laughs> yeah, I, I am missing out if I don't see Animal for again. I'm going to try it because I did... Obviously, because I did have mentioned the Blitzkrieg guy. And like, there's no reason I couldn't get Animal on the show. Like, you know, I think he'd be down. I'd, I'd love to speak to him about the legacy of So What as well. Because, yeah, I mean, I that is... Man, get get on the horse. Let's go. Yeah, produce yeah. the show. Yeah, yeah. Get, get animal. Get John Dent on. Animal and John Dent just you could be polar opposites, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, they're on there. So uh, yeah, we now get to the final day, guys. So this is um, December tenth, twenty eleven. Uh, opening yet again with the inch. Well, I guess we have Jim Brewer um doing more stuff and then like we had Lars rocket before um, and like we've had armored saint death angel are you much of a death angel guy uh let me check my notes okay california thrash band that's all i said <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i am not familiar i just said california thrash band and hoping that you could take it away take it away tom yeah well i think i believe it's death angel um who a lot of people think that um, one, the drum beat from one, was stolen from them. Actually, like they came up with that, which to be honest isn't that original in of itself. But um, yeah, they hang around there. They're you know again one of these kind of legendary bands, certainly leaning into 
you know, more deathy, kind of heavy, heavy aspects of music there. Um, but, but yeah, they're fine. And, you know, throughout the four days as well at the intros and stuff like that, but especially here on the fourth day, we get like a, a Cliff Burton reminiscence, which is lovely, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying, uh, trying to remember. I mean, I know Rob told a story about when he was trying out for Metallica seeing the picture of Cliff, or I forget where he said he was, he was staying at someone's house, mm. and uh, seeing a picture of Cliff and uh, making a promise, like, if I make the band, I, I won't let you down, like, who knows if it really happened, but it was a nice story, and uh, I mean, I don't know, it, I, 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 I'm not sure if this is true, but I think they may have uh, paid tribute to Cliff on all the nights, because I saw yes. a, a compilation, and uh, I know um, Ray Burton, uh, spoke for a little while. I'm not sure where that that was in the uh, on the days, but I mean, I know he spoke um, for a little bit, and it was a nice tribute to um, to Cliff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know yeah. that uh, one part. I, I I'm trying to see in my uh, crack notes here where it was, but I know James also came out and was you know telling story. Um, Scott Ian told a story about him. He did um, where they both got arrested, which sounds like the most absurd story. I'm like, why is that legal? What happened? Um, where they arrested him and went back to their apartment and like we're looking for drugs or something. But uh, yeah, I mean, just a nice reminiscence of, uh, definitely. of the best basis I ever had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Def- definitely agree. And uh, so we yeah, open in terms of the band themselves with Orion, uh, Through the Never Ride the Lightning, God That Failed, Sanitarium is the batch here. Um, and I mean, yeah, all really, really brilliant performances. I think God That Failed especially just has such a stomp. I love the trading off of the riffs. James and Kirk are so comfortable. Uh, and it was funny as well that uh, I think it's around this time that they spot the guy uh, with a, the escape sign, right? And he's uh, yeah. uh, like James speaks about him as if he's been hold, holding it up the entire time. like. Yeah, and uh, it, it's so weird that James is so anti that song. It's like the, the person's holding up Escape, and he's like, ah, put that sign down, and then the other members start, you know, playing Luke's version of it, and mm. James is like, nope, ain't happening. <laughs> it's like, come on, James, get the crowd what they want to. 30th anniversary. So <laughs> yeah. you don't want to play for us. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, they do a slightly kind of out-of-tune version like people are familiar maybe when Metallica at Milton Keynes in the early 90s did all the no, sorry it was at Donington in 95 and they do all the impressions of all the bands and stuff it reminded me a little bit of that uh, kind of timbre there and you know uh, I think uh, Lars says like I'm surprised that happened and James like I'm surprised Kirk remembered the riff and it's like well yeah that is quite surprising so they do that into Rebel and Babylon, which is our final uh, Beyond Magnetic tune, which, I mean, again, like all of the songs, like, again, I'm not, you know, I, I know it's workout mix worthy, but for me, there's a lot of shifting in it and there's some kind of interesting elements, but it does just feel a little cobbled together, doesn't it? It, feel, it doesn't feel quite like a finished product. Yeah, I, and I mean, they comment on that too. Um, they said that they saved this for the final day because they figured it was the most complex of the four songs and they would have time to practice, and of course they never did. Um, I mean, it's fine. It's a new song, you know, listen to it when you're bored of Master of Puppets, but, um, it's, it's just, you know, it doesn't stand out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, uh Blackened, yeah. uh, Follows, which is our final Met Club members cover, which is, this is a very unique, it's a married couple, uh, Dennis yeah. and Annette Diaz. So she's on the drums and he's on the guitar. Yeah. Can they give her a smaller drum kit? That thing, uh, yeah. I think it's basically a snare and a hi-hat, but, um, yeah, that was awesome. I mean, I think they, um, 
I think they were in a viral video where they played, I think it was Master of Puppets at their wedding. Mm -hmm. And so they were kind of little known, you know, like in that circle because it's so ridiculous. And uh, I mean, they they kicked ass. That was fun to watch. Yeah, really fun. And, uh, you know, I love that they brought them on that. I love that he wasn't just another kind of dude, you know, who's just there, who's just a kind of bedroom shredder. It was great that they kind of opened it up there. And, you know, an actual married couple. Especially there's a drummer and she's, you know, they bring her up and she's playing black and she's not playing, you know, some like... Yeah. Thing, like nothing else matters like she's she's in it she's playing it and uh kicking ass yeah 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 and uh you know online as well you can see like them with their kid and they sort of introduce a clip they've sort of done a cut of it themselves and uh yeah what an opportunity and there's some great moments where james goes over to her on the drum kit as if she was Lars and just starts head banging in front of her and uh yeah i love that they did that over there i mean you know as you i'm sure as you guys can tell as you're listening if you haven't noticed already it's just a, a bounty of treasures and go out and find all these clips out there um so bob rock of course, we've got to have Mr. Bob Rock on stage for two songs. St. Anger Tunes, Dirty Window, oh, and Frantic. Your favorite for the show. Your yeah, favorite oh album. my God. I, like, that guy who had tears in his eyes when Jason came on. I had tears in my eyes when I was watching this initially. I was just like, oh, they're finally revisiting. So, uh, yeah, we get these songs. I mean, I guess it makes sense for Bob to do these songs. You know, if there's any album you associate with Bob, it's probably the Black Album. But I suppose because Bob was, quote-unquote, the bass player at this era, he's going to do these ones, right? And he recorded these lines, I think, as well. What do you think of Dirty Window? I forget your opinion on that one. I like it. I like it a lot. I think the guitar sounds amazing on this recording as well. It sounds so... The protector, like, it's just so thumping. Yeah, I I have to give it another listen. I I may have been... uh dozing off during the, this version but because right. uh, <laughs> St. Anger is not one of my, my favorite no. albums I don't like maybe a few off it and Dirty Window wasn't one of them but uh, eh, it was fine it was mm-hmm. good to see Bob Rock looking like a, a little overweight John Bon Jovi but you know yeah 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 and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they play uh, a slightly shortened version uh, of Frantic as well where basically the second chorus goes to the uh, outro but like, like, like most St. Anger songs they're too long and they repeat a lot of parts so it doesn't really miss anything for it um we get now into some more guests from the past and this occasion these three songs really seem to throw the boys for a loop and afterwards their days and they can't believe it even happened uh geezer and ozzy of black sabbath come on stage uh coming out for the first one and mm. uh i mean yeah you, you know um rob is uh thrilled to you know, I, I think it was like Cliffs, or it just seems like any bassist, that's their hero, any rock bassist. Yeah. Um, and they were just in awe. And it, I mean, a, a huge get. Um, I mean, definitely one of the bigger treats of the, the four days, seeing Geezer and then Ozzy coming out after for a couple songs. Yeah, so Geezer coming out for Sabracadabra, uh, which is the first performance including a national acrobat uh, since November 24th, 1998. Um, obviously, they include those two songs in that one song. And then, yeah, Iron Man and Paranoid. Which, I mean, I'm pretty sure James' introduction to heavy music was listening to Black Sabbath's debut on his brother's turntable. And, you know, hearing the rain at the start and the crackle on the vinyl. So, uh, even more than Animal, I think, this is uh, the one for James. (laughs) Yeah, and it's funny. I mean, I feel like Sharon Osbourne just uh, cranks up Ozzy, sends him out on stage like a a wind-up toy. And he just goes right into... (laughs) Like, working the crowd, like, oi, oi, oi. Like, yeah, he's just, looking for a bucket of water, like, yeah. the moment. It's just, like, make some noise, and yeah. I can't hear you. Just goes right into Ozzy mode and bangs <laughs> out the two songs. But, I mean, I, that's that's still a treat. I mean, that, uh, I, I don't think anyone, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what was going on at the time, but I don't think anyone was expecting to see Ozzy 
No, 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 definitely. Because I teases. He's like, uh, do we get him? Uh, do we have anyone to sing these songs? Like, do, do we actually get him? And then he, he walks out, you know, hey, everyone, make some noise. Yeah. But uh, that was a, a nice moment. Yeah, absolutely insane. I mean, and especially considering, you know, Black Sabbath aside, that being on the Aussie tour in 86 on Master of Puppets, that's, you know, what broke them to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, that's really what, uh, promoting the, what, the Master of Puppets album, mm-hmm. really where they really hit big time. Yeah, I'll never I'll never forget that story in uh, Back to the Front, the hardcover book, where it's like Ozzy had gone missing and Cliff was asleep in his room and Sharon knocks on the hotel room and she's like, have you seen Ozzy? He's like, oh, I don't know where he is. And then under his bed, <laughs> an inebriated Ozzy climbs out. Like, he'd just been hiding under Cliff's bed. I don't know, he's just drawn to him. But uh, So yeah, they play uh, Iron Man and Paranoid. Obviously, I, I have a feeling Iomi would have been there as well, but I believe he was uh, undergoing treatment at the time. Uh, our final two Jason songs. Uh, Whiplash, which, you know, again, funny enough, a song that we covered, as you mentioned before. Uh, but before that, King Nothing, which, again, like, you know, the, kind of one of those songs where Jason's very visible, right? Yeah, and like I said earlier, I think uh, Rob takes a step back, lets Jason have that King Nothing intro where, you know, the bass is front and center. And, uh, I mean... It, the the nice bass line for Jason and also the, the background vocals really stand out in this song, make you miss him. Yes, yes, no, you definitely, definitely do. And, uh, you know, King Nothing sounds excellent. And they do a bit of Frayed Ends jam at the end of Whiplash as well. Did they? I, yeah. I must have missed that. Yeah, I don't know if that's showing on the set list, but yeah, I, I don't know if I actually remember because I watched this day first, but um, but yeah, no, uh, again, guys, you can find this out and there's, there's kind of like, there are full bootlegs out there of the audio available uh, with all the chatter in between, so you can find those on YouTube. Another guy from the past now, Mr. Hugh Tanner, coming for Motor Breath, uh, he of Leather Charm which was, you know, one of uh, James's first bands there, Ron McGovney. This is a blast from the Piast, right? Like, jeez. Right, yeah. This was, So what, what's the deal with him? Uh, he's James's good friend from the past. They were in Leather Charm. And did he actually help write Motor Breath or... I believe, yeah, he has a writing credit on that song, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he officially does, because I think that no. one is just had killed, but... Um... I, I don't know. I, I don't remember if I heard that referenced or what, but I feel like he uh, he was at least around when they were playing it. Um, yes, you know, the, the yes. Yeah, I believe that was, and uh, obviously the Lever Charm song hit the lights. Uh, you know, became the Metallica song as well. But um, this was cool for him to be up there. What, what, what did you think of him on stage? I, I think it was, you know, just fun, fun for him, fun for James. You know, it's like, oh, you finally got up here. You know, after all these years. I mean, it's a good James moment. I don't think anyone knew who Hugh Tanner was in the the crowd, but you know, it's it was fun to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it definitely was. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to maybe write headlines from this set of events, like what was the biggest thing in Metallic history, I would argue even more than Newstead getting back in the chair was Dave Mustaine. Dave Mustaine is back playing with Metallica. Uh, for quite bigger a... than Tanner coming back? Big... Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> bigger than Animal. Bigger than Animal coming on. Uh, but, uh, but, like, Dave, what I love is, like, Hetfield's trying so hard throughout the performances to make Dave crack a smile. Like, he's overjoyed for him to be there, but Mustaine really just keeps in his own corner, doesn't he? 
he, yeah, exactly. He keeps his head down. He's all business. <laughs> no eye and contact. Like, like, yeah. like, oh, like, you know, once again, the comments on the videos, like people playing psychi- psychologists, like, oh, uh, he's not happy to be there. He's pissed off. But uh, wasn't this around the time that he, like, needed back surgery or neck surgery? Mm. Like, because I, I saw him at the Big Four, and, I mean, he just – that's what he did. He just stood yes. there and played. He doesn't move around. He doesn't work the crowd. It, it, it was kind of weird. I mean, I don't think he said anything into the mic except, you know, singing some background vocals. But um, he did just stand there, look at his guitar, and play the riffs. Um, but, hey, I mean, that that is that is the biggest get, I think, and the biggest – if you see that live, you're, you know, losing your mind because you didn't think it would ever happen. No, 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 no. It's, uh, you know, it's it, it's unbelievable, really. Like, we you know, we know that the bands have been friends for years or amicable, whatever. Obviously, we have the Some Kind of Monster, but I can't remember. It was one of the Monsters of Rock in the 80s, something where Megadeth say, you know, Metallica Friends and stuff like that. But um, still, it is amazing to see him up there. And, um, you know, he's still obviously a really potent guitar player. And I love his soloing style. Like, it's fresh out of the early 80s, just all that legato, all that speed. But it just has a certain edge to it that Kirk lacks, I think. Yeah, Kirk. I mean, Kirk loves his wah. You don't see uh, Dave. Or, <laughs> oh no! Yeah, you don't see Mustaine leaning on the wah so heavily. No. I mean, he just you know, full speed ahead. Yeah, it's a nice singing. Nice change of pace. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's great to see Dave up there. Uh, you do Phantom Lord, uh, jump in the fire, Metal Militia, and hit the lights. Hit the lights slightly different though. Ron McGovney's on stage. Uh, the original bass player, he who um, keeps ignoring my emails to come on the show, and Lloyd Grant, who I tried to email to get on the show. He had like an old website that looked like it was made in the Space Jam era, but again, didn't get any uh, references from him. That he being the guy did the original guitar solo on the um, you know original Metal Mask and stuff. But um, when they're doing Hit the Lights, to have the original guys uh, and Dave and Ron and Lloyd, there's just there's so much Metallica history, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I love seeing Lloyd Grant shred. I mean, that's so yeah. cool. It's like they they let him do his solos, and he just takes advantage. Like Ron McGovney seemed to stand in the back, like you know, with the sure. amps, but uh, he wasn't reveling in it as much. But I mean, Lloyd came out and wasn't missing a beat. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, it, it's kind of yeah. Ron has always been a bit buttoned down, maybe, and uh, I don't, I don't think he was quite as in the pocket. But you know, still, I, I even like I. I I think i read this like he hasn't even played on stage like in any capacity since like 88 or something before that wow so like he's out of the music business you know doing doing his thing so i mean uh it's he's not a guy that's like you know currently touring in the third iteration <laughs> of rubber charm no <laughs> yeah no i think he was trying to keep his base away from mustang because if i remember correctly like mustang was one of the reasons he kicked out because he poured all his liquor into his pickups i think he was just getting flashbacks of that he just didn't want that to happen again so they were just keeping yeah, their the distance learned about the thing in the early years uh the more he just sounds like a major oh dick. my god just like a big drunk asshole oh <laughs> yeah because it's like there's that quote isn't it? it's like what no warning no second chance and it's like i'm sure he does so much shit by that point like yeah oh, yeah, yeah. That was in uh, some kind of monster, right? Where yeah. he's going over. Yeah, and then they wake me up, and he's like, I remember when we used to just talk about burying each other in the dirt and smoking hash or whatever. That's <laughs> right. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, with laws, you know. I, I cannot imagine. I mean, could you imagine the two type A's, you know, him and him and James, like, in the same band? I mean, uh, I don't think it would work. No, no, so, no, certainly I, not. It had to happen, and, hey, we got two great metal bands out of it, so... Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry if you grudge uh, Mustaine, but you know. 
What are you going to do? No, of course, yeah. He was, uh, you know, like you say, yeah, there's some marvellous albums that have came out of that. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, I don't know if Megadeth could do a 30th anniversary. You know, they've been going for just as long. They've got more albums, but they just haven't got that legacy, I don't think, of guests that people have recognised. Yeah, the legacy, I mean, they've gone through a lot of different lineups. And plus, like I was saying, I think Mustaine, I wouldn't, he, what, does he have throat cancer or what? Yeah, something yeah, right something, now. Something, yeah, he's going through something, certainly. So, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath for that. And that brings us to the end of the final day with Seek and Destroy, uh, with everyone on stage, the Soul Rebels, Lloyd Grant, Hugh Tanner's there, Newstead, Mustaine, etc. Um, thoughts on this final performance? Uh, this one I actually watched, and, I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, Mustaine singing some background vocals with... Uh, uh, Newstead, Newstead. It's funny, like Newstead is the guy that's like hanging out with Mustaine, the guy that never, you know, had to be in a band with him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I made a note about the guy from Death Angel. He seems the most into it in the beginning. I think he's hogging the mic. He's like mm. singing the verses, and that guy's like, I am, I am taking advantage of this opportunity. But um, I mean, it's fun. I, I feel like everyone was into it. It was a good closeout, and uh, I don't know. Good times had by all. Yeah, yeah, incredible times. And, you know, guys, if you're listening, if any of you attended the shows or, you know, you've seen them subsequently, uh, let us know whatever thoughts you have on any performances. Um, I mean, we've just sort of ran through them here because there are just so, so many. But anything stick out particularly to you? Like, what would you say some of the best things you've seen over these four days? I would say, first of all, before I get to that, if anyone knows John Dent, John Dent, yeah. (laughs) John Dent, if you're listening. Okay. Um... I think I, I mean I'm I was trying to give this a lot of thought and thinking like what was like the highlight and I mean I'm sure this is ninety percent of people's highlight, but Dave Mustaine coming up on stage yeah. performing with the band. I mean I feel like that is a, a huge moment. Um Ozzy and Geezer, um huge moment. Um I, I mean th- those are the two biggest and you know, the ones that surprised me the most, I did enjoy Merciful Fate mm-hmm. and uh yep. Animal. And so yep. those two, there are some surprise performances that that definitely uh, warrant a watch if you haven't seen it already. What about you? What uh, what are your highlights? You know, you said most of what I was going to say. I was going to slip Animal in there at the end for a quick laugh, but you've said it already. So, uh, you know, I completely agree. Uh, John Dent, we've mentioned him many, many times, but he's fantastic. I think all the Met Club performances, uh, you know, we kind of glossed over them as well, but all the songs that they open with, I think they did give some terrific renditions there. Uh, most of it's a highlight. Uh, I really like the Diamond Head Quartet as well. Um, they're just really vibing with each other and everyone on stage sounds great and uh, Brian Tatler especially uh, is in fine fettle but um, but yeah the whole thing really I just think it's just uh, such a once in a lifetime excursion like I hate to be morbid but maybe a few of these people might have passed away subsequently you know it was kind of like the perfect time I suppose one last hurrah for this whole thing right yeah I, I mean I know they Lou Reed no longer with us Lou Reed yeah um, I, don't know, I feel like I, there was someone else, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, once again, I wish it was released on, you know, some DVD box set or something um, because it is a little difficult. I would recommend someone downloading the set lists for the days and then just Googling uh, the song, the, you know, the stuff yes. that you want to hear. That's what I did. I mean, there is a long version, a four and a half hour version, but there's a lot missing in that. And so if you mm-hmm. want to hear some of these specific versions or songs, then definitely just, you know, search YouTube, search Google Metallica 30th anniversary and then the song. Because, I mean, there's a lot to see here and there's no one easy video to see it all. 
No, no, not yet. And uh, yeah, so there is the a giant cut, as you say. And yeah, you're just gonna have to fill in the gaps, all the set lists and stuff like that. And sometimes, like the the intros are cut off, all the all the chatter or whatever. So uh, so yeah, this has been great uh, going through all four of these days. Again, guys, go check out anything you like the sound of. Follow us at MetallicaPod on Twitter, MetallicaPod at gmail.com if you want to hop on the show. If you enjoy the show, you want to give back as well, Patreon is there. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes as well, please. Go wherever your RSS feed takes you. Uh, Rob, finally, what about yourself? Anything to promote? or Not a damn thing, Tom. Just uh, keep putting out the episodes, and I, I try to uh, try to give you that riveting commentary. Did, right. I mention that James, did I mention that James took his shirt off during Merciful Fate? I don't know if yeah. I got to. He got touched on. He got touched on. Yeah. So uh, tune in for that riveting commentary. <laughs> uh, so yeah, guys, uh, go back and check out uh, all the old episodes uh, in the archive and stuff like that. Uh, I'm trying to think what I'm building up to at the moment. Oh yes, the next episode we're going to be doing is. Um, so you may be familiar. We did the mega histories with our big history on Jason Newstead. We're going to be doing one on Cliff Burton. So I've got a guest lined up for that. So we're going to be looking at uh, the, the 24 uh, short, incredible years that we had Cliff Burton on this planet with us. So, uh, yeah, that's coming up soon at MetallicaPub, MetallicaPub.gmail.com. Uh, congrats to Metallica on their upcoming 40th anniversary. Rob, thanks again. This has been great. Thanks, Tom. Enjoyed it. <laughs>